Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have one of Prague Rock's greatest keyboardists, Rick Wakeman. At the time of this interview in 1999, Wakeman was 50 years old and was promoting his new album, Return to the Center of Earth. In the interview, Wakeman talks about being homeless, who's better, Keith Emerson or him, what he learned from Robert Fripp, and owning up to your own truths. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. I want to start out, but before I get the center of the earth, I want to ask you a couple of personal things, if you don't mind. I had interviewed John Anderson a couple of years ago, and he said that you had become born again and that you were on the 700 Club renouncing yes. Is that accurate? No, it's complete junk. Okay. First of all, I'm not, I'm not a born-again Christian. I've been, a, I've been a Christian since I was five. I've been on the 700 Club, but I haven't been on the 700 Club for seven years, eight years. Certainly, um, I mean, I'm a fan of yes. I mean, how on earth would I go on? No, I, I think too many walks in the mushroom fields. <laughs> Well, that's, that's complete and utter junk. Yeah, I had asked him because, you know, they went out on the last tour with that Russian keyboard player, and he right. said that was the reason that uh, you didn't go on that tour. I mean, the reason I didn't go on the tour was it was a tour achieving nothing. To me, uh, I mean, I'm a fan of the band, apart from the times that I'm in it. And to me, that band is a band that needs to be in, in, big, uh, in big venues, putting on spectacular shows. To me, a yes show should be an event, you know, not in sort of 1,200-seaters. And I felt that, that we hadn't got a, the, the music we needed some time to put some real great music together. We were all playing well, but the quality of music wasn't there that we, that we really needed to do. It, needs, it needed John, it needed us to actually go back to our roots, and for me, that's from where John, I mean, John is so talented at coming up with great sweeping melody ideas, and that's where we should, should have been sort of starting all the music and that from, uh, as we did, you know, years, years ago, which creates you know, what I call class, yes, music. And, and I felt that, you know, just going around and, and, and playing in smaller and smaller venues, the time could be better utilized by everybody spending some time, you know, trying to, you know, to gather new ideas, working with different people, so that when we got back to the table again, uh, you know, fresh, there was, we weren't just sort of decent players, but we, we brought along new things to the table. Because if you just want to go out and play, which is fine, I mean, the, the best yes tour for that of, of being nostalgic, and it was the, the Union tour, which was just absolutely fantastic. You know, so it really wasn't my cup of, you know, my cup of tea. It's not the way that I think it should be done best. But good luck to them. And, uh, and I, I do love the guys dearly and, and I wish them lots of luck. Okay, fair enough. I've also read or, and I guess I've looked this up a little bit, but that, you, that you've been making records. Uh, you've really never stopped making records, have you? I mean, for the last 20 years, you've basically been recording in England, right? Or for for the European market. Yeah, well, what I did, and a lot of that was by necessity, if the truth be known, uh, because, I mean, I'm 50 in a few days' time, and it's very easy when you're 50 to, to, to own up to a few things. And, and there was a period of time in the 80s which was really difficult for musicians like myself because it was hard to get any form of record contract at all. It was hard to get agents to perform. It was, it was um, you were persona non grata with young people. You were out of totally out of vogue. It was it was very difficult. And it wasn't just me. It was a lot of musicians and people who'd been around in the in the in the early 70s and whatever. Now for those who'd been sensible, and when I say sensible, I mean those 
members who had had one wife, who'd stayed in the same band, who'd had the same management, who'd listened to their accountants and advisors, they'd all managed to put some money to one side so they could ride the storm for a few years and then reappear. I'd made getting married a hobby. Um, I'd been married three times. I'd had arguments with the tax authorities and lost the case, court cases, so that they'd that had bankrupted me. Not bankrupted me, but basically cleaned me out. Uh, the three marriages were very expensive. I'd been in and out of bands, changed labels, and basically I didn't have a penny. I had absolutely nothing. And in fact, at one stage, it was in a period where I had no, it didn't even have a roof over my head where I was sort of doing the, the famous sleeping on the park bench number, and that, which, is, which is no fun, believe you me. You actually slept out? Really? Yeah, I mean, it got real, real bad at one oh. stage. I mean, and, uh, and it was very, very, very tough. And But basically, then you look around and say, what can I do? I've got to do something. Can't get a record, can't, can't, get, can't get arrested. You know, it was, uh, um, uh, yeah, get arrested sleeping on a park bench, but can't get arrested making a record, you know. So I, I then looked around and realized that there was a lot of independent labels starting up all over the place. So I contacted, you know, different countries and different little labels and said, look, what sort of music can you sell that's like, uh, or, or do you, are you looking for, that's, um, that you're not looking for to make current records, but something that you can, can go on the shelf that will sell. Uh, for example, Japan, uh, you know, there was a little independent label I got in touch with who, who don't exist anymore, but they were called Jimco. And they said, oh, listen, we, we would like you, can you do some synth rock synthesizer albums? And I said, yeah, what budget you got? So they had a very, very small budget. So I said, fine, okay, I'll do something. Australia spoke to them, what do you want? Oh, well, we, we need some like, uh, quasi classical piano album. That's what that's what's doing quite well down it. Great. How much budget can you give me? A small budget. Thank you. So then I went to into the Germany. They were looking for new age stuff. I went to all the different territories, and with the money that I put together, the budget, which was extremely small from all of these places, I had enough money to put together a decent enough sort of small studio that I could record them all in. And I worked out that once they'd been delivered, that the next small budgets I could do, I could actually start making it work a little bit. And so over a period of about four years, I produced about 30-odd different CDs for different markets around the world, and all on very, very small budgets. And whilst it kept me alive and kept me hanging on, it didn't solve the problems that I'd been in. And, and by the uh, sort of the early 90s, the tax problems were so huge that I ended up selling all my royalty rights um, for, all, for everything in order to pay the bills. So that was another interesting area because in 19, sort of about 94, 93, 94, I found myself starting again, which was pretty interesting because it pushes you. It's been an interesting time, to put it bluntly. So the reason there's been a lot of albums was uh, was purely a, a matter of necessity at the time. When you're in that situation, what are you thinking? Because because I'm looking, yeah, you're telling me this story, and this is the first I've ever heard of this, and, and I'm going, if I were in your position, I'd be going, I'm Rick Wakeman. I'm one of the greatest keyboard players ever. Why is this happening? How, how did you get through that? How did you deal with well, that? you do go through, I mean, exactly what you said, you do go through the, I'm feeling extremely sorry for myself. There's two things. One of the hardest things is to own up to the truth to yourself, which is, you know, hold on a minute, I've screwed up the marriages, I'd not listened to the accountants, I'd argue with the tax authorities and lost big time. And really, you know, I'd been fighting the 
establishment uh, and lost. And when you own up to that, then that's half the battle. The hardest thing I had to swallow was not the fact that back, at, back then I lost everything. The hardest thing to swallow was all the people that I thought were my friends, road crew that had worked with me for years that I'd had on retainers and paid really decent money to over just vanished. I couldn't even get any one of the crew used to work for me to even to give me a, a lift to a railway station. I mean, they disappeared. That was the hardest thing to swallow because people I'd worked with for 10 years who I thought were my friends, that's when I suddenly realized in this business, I didn't have any. And I think that was harder to swallow than, than losing everything. Did the guys in Yes know what you were going through? Um... I don't know, to be honest. I really honestly don't know. I've got a huge sense of a sense of pride, and it was just, uh, you know, I'm going to find my way out of this. And if you want to do that, you do that. And uh, my lovely wife, Nina, was tremendous. When we met, you know, she actually said to me, this is impossible, the mess you're in. She said, okay. She said, they've taken everything else away. She said, but they can't take your talent away. She said, you can wave the talent in their face. There's nothing they can do. They can't have that. So go out. She said, you've done it before. Do it again. And it was great. And with, and with, when you've got somebody sort of behind you, and then uh, and then you start getting the odd break here and there, and things start pick, you know picking up, and then it's you sort of steaming away, and, and you know eventually you sort of you from the lying down position you're on your knees, and then you're you're sort of half standing up, and then you're standing up, and then then you start winning again. You know? So so you became like the diagram you always see of of man emerging from the water from evolution, right? <laughs> well, it's not far off that. Yeah, um, the older you get, though, it, it's tough. It does take it takes its toll, no doubt about it. It takes its toll on you physically. You, you can you can do these sort of things when you're 20 or 30, but it's a little tricky when you get up to my age now. But I like to look on the positive side of things. For example, if it hadn't have all, all been so sour and so rotten or whatever, would I have pushed myself to do the things that I'm doing now? Or would I have just been sitting back on my laurels going down the golf course every day, you know? I, I've been a fan of yours and of, of Yes and all that since, since basically I saw the Topographic Oceans tour. That was my one of my first concerts and, All right. and to the extent I ever thought about it I always figured that guys like like you and the rest of the guys in Yes and Tall and all those bands would you know be around for a few years and then they would take their multi-millions and you know be become gentlemen farmers somewhere in England you know and that yeah. was that was always my vision and what's happened has been just so I mean really unbelievable uh, well in so many a lot cases. of people they did, if you were sensible that's what you did right I mean if you stayed with the same band you stayed with the same record company you didn't change lineups you didn't change managements you didn't change wives you, if you kept things on a stable footing that's exactly what happens exactly what you said are there guys like that who you know who are around uh, you know who, well I mean people who did it sensibly people like uh, you know like Roger Daughtry you know who, you know classic example like the who you know obviously you know when, when Mooney died that was that, you know obviously that necessitates a change but bands like Zeppelin no change of lineup the who no change of lineup Queen no change of Lineup. Except I've, I've heard that Antwistle had no money, and uh, I'd also heard that Daltrey was uh, was not doing great either. So that's well, Daltrey is he's gotten his private enterprises things in the UK. I mean, he has one of the biggest trout farms in the country. That's got to be worth millions and millions. And uh, John Antwistle has, um, if John just sold his his main house in the UK, could probably solve the cost of a crisis. Oh, okay. so I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think those guys are doing doing too bad. All right. So then, uh, then I. I've heard wrong. Okay. <laughs>
improved. Yeah, I think that's that's not a bad analogy. The first one was difficult because I had the choice of, I, do I get guest singers in? But there's really only four songs. Do I get guest singers in and feature and do what they did with the orchestral versions of Tommy, which is, you know, and then you suddenly fill it full of guests? Or do you go the other route and have everybody on stage completely unknown so that the focus then goes on to the music? And I think there's very valid arguments both ways. And I, and I'm not really sure what the, the utopia would be. Um, but certainly when we came to do this one, this was an area where I wrote songs specifically for singers. I think it's, I think it's valid what you say. Another thing that I like about this is it, that your playing is more expansive. There are parts of this where I say, wow. The first album, I think it really clings together as, as a, a, a symphonic thought, you know, as a whole piece. This is like a dream to hear Rick Wakeman playing like this again. There's a totally different thinking for this one. I mean, you are you are right. And the and there is an element of the, of the old Robert Fripp thinking in this. When you're 20, 23, 24, 25 years old, the, the word silence when you're playing, in other words, don't play here, is something that is not in your vocabulary. You'll play something even if it's if it's not right or the wrong instrument, just because just you want to be played. You don't want to be seen doing nothing. Robert Fripp, I did a few sessions with Fripp back in the in, in, in the 70s, and one of the things that Robert does, I, mean, I remember doing one session with him, and he didn't play for about two minutes. And I said, are you going to do something here? And he said, no. And I, and I said, uh, why not? He said, because there isn't anything for me to play. And he, he said, uh, he said I should play in that little section coming up there. There's nothing there. Then there, there, and there, and there. Now, what was amazing, when I listened back to the track that we did then, all that seemed to stick out was what Robert had did. Uh, and I said, he, said, he said, that's because I've got six entries and six exits. He said, if you only have one entry and exit, he said, it loses the, the track. He said, he said and if I want to play an important part, he said, then I, I play where necessary and play the sound of the things where necessary. And that's something that I have to say um, I've tried to do much more of in, in recent years and certainly with this album all the keyboard solos for example none of them went down until everything else had been recorded so you knew when to put in your entrances and exits exactly yes perfect yeah okay. yeah exactly that's that's great now the thing that I that I wish you had done differently is I wish this were shorter and I don't wish it were shorter because I because there's stuff that shouldn't be on here right but uh, I, you're 50 or you're going to be 50 I just turned 40 and I listened to, and I, I can't tell you the last time I had an hour and 15 minutes to listen to something and, <laughs> and, you know I have two little kids in the house and it's just chaos all the time and it's very hard to sit down and I go God, you know I just that's the, the I guess the beauty of the first one is I wish there it's were 36 more minutes <laughs> 36 minutes <laughs> yeah well I, I tell you it's a, the original demo runs to 125 minutes <laughs> Now, I knew that it was always going to come down from there because, of course, the narration is overblown. A lot of the things are overblown, so you're, you're continually editing and editing and editing and editing and editing to bring it, you know, to bring it down to, to, to it sounds tight. It was always going to end up as what it was going to end up, and it ended up at 70, was it 76, 50 or something? You're quite right. But, uh, um, yeah, I, 
I too have kids running around the house, and I can I can sympathize there. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying this. I like you know that era of music is nobody's really ever gone back and done that, and and I think that's the best era of music there was. People can make fun of you know art rock or whatever they want to call it all they want, but I mean you had the best players playing some of the most inventive, interesting music of yeah, all time. Yeah, and it was interesting you picked up on the singers. I looked at the same juncture as do I get you know some of my friends some of the classic players in the instrumentalist to play you know to play the band parts and I ended up using a band where the guitarist is 24 the drummer's 23 and the bass player is 23 and it was really incredible because these are guys they're great players and they exactly what you said they said look we love that era we know it got knocked by people and the art rock thing exactly but, but what a great time for musicians what a great time to be able to play so whilst a lot of people say to you know well, well, people who don't like art rock and, and classical rock and orchestral rock call it what you like who say ah oh, the problem is it's all contrived you try saying that to the musicians that play it because the first thing they'll turn around to you do is say we've never had so much freedom to show any ability or what we can do there's no other music that allows us to do this now, art rock is a genre of music that in general people either love or they hate I mean for example reviews for this album in the UK were you know it's been good 70% of them have been fantastic but we've had another percentage about 20% where it's from people who just can't stand the orchestral rock have never been able to stand it and would dearly like to take me to one of the entrances to the centre of the earth drop me down it and then close the entrance <laughs> up and unlike any other type of music they suddenly become really opinionated because people say oh this is fantastic I'm so glad some of this is happening this is absolutely wonderful it's great music it's great and they and just go off into a, a euphoria that's almost embarrassing and then as I say then, then two down the line you can read a guy you know why doesn't somebody assassinate Wakeman why don't they just drop, <laughs> open up the centre of the earth and drop him in it you know and it's uh, and it's, it's uh, to some extent it makes me smile but it also makes it it's interesting that, that in that era of the 70s as well we were all whether we were fans of, of, of one type of music or not we were all passionate about our music and uh, and it's interesting that, that this type of music does bring the passion back one way or another you know when I was in high school and listening to this and I would listen to uh, you know we would have arguments you talk about passion arguments every day about who's better Rick Wakeman or Keith Emerson who's better you know Steve Howe or Jimmy Page stuff like well, I that could, I could solve the first one for you because okay. Keith and I have been great friends for years and years and years and we always thought it was a lot of fun that these things kept coming up in newspapers who's best because the interesting thing is we are two totally different styles of players in, in every respect I mean Keith and I have, have, have actually agreed that if you could take my right hand and his left hand you've probably got the epitome of what's needed um, and, but we've agreed that we're not going to have the operation uh, what we are going to do we're going to do a tour together next year instead really? yeah oh. we, we're, I mean we've been working on this now for about six months so we're going to go out and, and we're going to put together and this is not where he's on stage for a bit and I'm on stage this is where we're working together solidly for, for an evening and, and what are you going to do? I mean how many will you have a band with you? And, and oh, yeah we'll have a band we may even have an orchestra we, we're past the embryo stage it's now Keith and I have been quietly working on this now for oh, about four or five months so you're going to bring that to the US? it's going to be in the US oh. that's, where it'll, that's where it'll start so that's going to be a lot of fun from all the players 
players that you've played with and all the players that you know of, is, is there a Rick Wakeman dream band? Could you put one together? Gosh, a dream band? Um, there's a few people I'd like to play with who I never have played with, I must admit. I mean, I would, I would love to do something with McCartney. I would, you know, just to do, just to, even if it's just to sit up on stage and play something. There's so many great musicians around. I, I would like to see... I had a great time in the, in the session days when I was going around playing loads of people's sessions. It was just great fun. I do enjoy working on other people's music. I, I enjoy working with other people. Dream band, I mean, a lot of the guys I always dreamed of playing with or wanted to play with, I've done. People like Brian May, I've worked with Steve Vai and um, Joe Satriani. was was great fun. I, I've been extraordinarily lucky. Perhaps on a band side of things, there are two bands I would have loved to have worked with who didn't have keyboard players. Um, who I would have jumped at the chance to have become the keyboard player of those bands. One was The Who and the other one was Zeppelin. If those two bands had decided that they wanted a keyboard player, uh, I would have put in my application. So I'd have filled in the form and sent off the CV. Uh, are you going to tour with the return? Uh, yeah, I, I very much so. I want to. It's a bit frustrating at the moment. It's, it's going to cost an arm and a leg to, to put this on, as you can appreciate. Oh, yeah. So it will need sponsorship and all the things that along that go with it. We've got sponsors and people standing by who really want to get involved and do it but they're all just waiting quite rightly so to see how, how the album's received if it's received well and does okay then there's no doubt about it they'll press the green light and away we'll go but of course their argument's going to be if it doesn't do what, what people hope they're going to say well look why should we invest in a show where's the audience going to come from but we know we can make the show really work because all the major cities around the world have got great symphony orchestras and choirs it's not that difficult to actually to actually stage it and do it the difficulty is finding the underwriters and the sponsors and they're only going to come forward once we know you know how the album's actually doing and that's probably going to be i would think decisions will start to be made around about the end of june isn't it amazing to you how much business plays a part in music anymore it's sad yeah. it's very sad and what's frustrating for me was back in the 70s the money that i earned from the records i didn't have to, there were no such things as sponsors there weren't they i mean when i did the original journey tour in america i lost a quarter of a million dollars we sold out everywhere we sold out all 18 shows but it lost a quarter of a million dollars which is a fortune now you imagine what it was back then but i'd made a quarter of a million dollars on the sales of the record so i put all the money back in to do the tour knowing that it would lose the money and i didn't have to i didn't the manager said to me oh you're mad you're crazy to do this you know you can't do it i said okay it's my money i'll do what i like with it i want to go out on tour i want to take an orchestra so i'm going to do it if i was in the position today where i had i had some money in the bank and i could afford to go out and spend it all and put this on the road without having to talk to people i would do it but you're dead right it's turned into a business now where you're reliant upon other people and it is the business side of things it takes priority are, are you glad you made your mark in music when you made it i wouldn't change one iota of the era that i've come through it's nothing more fantastic than to come through a pioneering stage and i, I came through the stage where uh, keyboards were being pioneered and i was allowed to get involved in the development of keyboards the same as recording I've, I've, and technology in the 30 years i've been doing it since I, I left college i mean i've had some fantastic highs and some stunning lows and i suppose that that's something you should expect in, in this business is there anything else that you want me to tell people about what you're up to anything you want to talk about that we haven't i think well, we've just about covered everything i think basically the next uh, sort of eight to ten months is going to be heavily taken up with with return and then it's going to be moving hopefully into 
were putting the uh, uh, the Emerson Wakeman tour together, which I'm, I'm looking forward to very much. Oh, that's and then after, after that, I mean, that's going to, when you think about it, that's going to go through 2000 into 2001. I, I don't know what will happen particularly after that. I mean, I've, I've had a few health problems over the last last year, so there's going to come a time when I'm going to have to quiet down a bit. And uh, so it might be just after after I've done the, uh, the project with Keith, it might just be time to uh, just sort of hold back a little bit. What, what's been wrong, if you don't mind my uh, I Last year I had a bad time. I had uh, chronic pneumonia and pleurisy in a form of Legionnaire, and I, I actually was, they only gave me 48 hours at one time. I was a pretty sick, sick boy. And uh, sort of went into hospital weighing 220 pounds and came out weighing 180, you know. Wow. I've damaged my right lung and a few other areas, and, it's, uh, and I, I have to... I can't do the things that I used to do, and, I, and they've, they've sort of sort of wagged their finger at me and told me that things have to change. Like, they basically said if I have another attack like it, then I, I won't come out of that one. So I've got to I've got to start looking a little bit more sensibly. And I, so I am aware that maybe in uh, two or three years' time, I'm going to have to uh, maybe look more toward the continual writing side of things, maybe to move it more into the area of you know, writing, doing movie music and or whatever, which doesn't put the same pressures on of, of continual travelling and, you know, and the touring and things that I'm doing at the moment. One other just housekeeping matter, and that is when you were talking about the, your lowest lows, what years are we talking about there? Is it, well, the lows? Is it the 80s? Yeah. Yeah, the lows, I suppose, probably 1980 was the year that's, that really stank for me because uh, um, my second marriage collapsed. I lost everything. It was the start of the whole punk movement, which, you know, it's that's fine, but he just destroyed me. I was hitting a bad way. I then lost it. I was losing, I lost a big tax case. I lost everything that I had to within the second divorce. And then my father died. And that was the bad icing on the cake because it was like, well, what else can God throw at me, you know? And, and that was pretty tough. And then I went through a period of feeling extraordinarily sorry for myself uh, for about six months to a year where I really felt sorry for myself and I thought that uh, everybody else in the world was to blame but me. It is true that the situation that I found myself in was not totally of my own doing, but the fact of life is that at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you do have a certain control over your destiny and you, you, you can shape things. You know, if you want to sit there and be bloody miserable, then that's fine, but it ain't going to get you anywhere. You know, not having a roof over my head was a real low. I mean, that was because you just wonder where you're going to go from there. That was in 80 or 81? Yeah. Yeah, oh man. Well, listen, I, I, I appreciate all your time and I wish you the best. You're, you're, uh, you and your music has, have given me a lot of joy throughout That's my very life. Kind. Thank you, And uh, I hope that, uh, that things work out well for you, Rick. That's very, very kind. Thank you very much. Yeah, you take care of yourself and I hope to see you here. That'd be lovely, okay. please. That would be, be wonderful. Okay, you take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, the Tapes archive.com until next time the vault is closed